They say friendships are formed by being at the right place at the right time. A circumstance that happens to us. A sheer coincidence. But I don't think that's the case. People come into our lives for a reason. For a purpose that is much larger than we know or are able to see. Friendships are the essence of connection. They are the links that make us stronger as individuals and collectively together. Yet it's how we choose to build those friendships, those relationships and bonds that can prosper into something incredibly special over the course of time. My name is Roger Brooks. I do not take friendships lightly. I have made many friends over the course of my lifetime, some more recent, but many that date back to my childhood and high school years. As part of my mission to raise global consciousness, I'll be sharing many of my friends' stories with you here. How could I not? These incredible people have not only made a profound impact on my life, but they are making an impact on countless others and in the process are changing the world. Their stories will challenge you and your thoughts and will make you look deep within yourself, which just may empower you to make modifications in your own life and a difference in the lives of those around you. What started out as a hobby has quickly turned into my life mission. Join me on this journey to help make the world a better place. So my dad's thing was education, so I, I don't really get how he knew a guy who didn't go to school, knew how powerful it would be, and that's all he talked to me about. It wasn't, you need to make the pros, it was, son, you need to get an education. And I didn't understand that, I didn't even like when he used to say it, but now as a man I get to see back on my life and see how powerful having a high school diploma is how powerful having a college degree is. People don't even understand, you know, how hard he pushed me. But it was, I never looked at it like he was pushing me too hard. That was our deal. Sometimes grown men don't always choose to do the right things. And as friends, you're supposed to point those things out to make sure your friend is understanding the impact that his decision might make on himself and a whole bunch of other people. It just never was my thing. And then you get to college and everybody does it. All the guys on the team, all the pro guys that come back and it just was like, yeah, I do it too then. Some of the things that are your best things are your worst things. I'm competitive. I don't like, didn't really at that age, didn't like people telling me what I could do and couldn't do. So now I'm on this spiral of drinking and drunk all the time and not all the time, but a lot. But still never thought I'm alcoholic. Then everybody's alcoholic. Y'all drink too, everybody drinks, blah, 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 blah. I just know there's more good to be done. Um, I, I feel like I'm starting to hit my stride. I still got to live a very blessed life because of the game of basketball.
Hello, Facebook. We are at uh, Columbus Park in Binghamton, New York, where it's about to be a dedication to King Rice, who is our guest today on American Reel. And uh, King is being honored today where they are renaming the courts here in the city of Binghamton, renaming these basketball courts to King's Court. So it's a really special day. There's probably at least 100 people here, uh, including the mayor and other dignitaries. So. We're going to give you a sneak peek uh, right now behind the scenes, and then we'll tune in as well uh, for some of King's speech. And then we'll be heading over to the studio a little bit later uh, where we will go live with King for about 20 minutes. So stay tuned. It's going to be a special day, and uh, we'll keep you updated. Today... Crazy thing happened this morning. I went and saw my pops. Yeah. I just went up there because I wouldn't be here without them. But I also wouldn't be here without this community. And on this journey, when I left here, everybody here prepared me to be a pro basketball player. When I left here, I was on track to be a pro basketball player because of everybody in the community. And I just sat here and I watched and I watched. And they just taught me and they kept the bad things away from me. And when things were going on that wasn't right, they say, hey man, you don't get to come over here. Because everybody helped me get to be here. And you go on a journey, and I got in my own way for a long time on that journey. And what you don't understand is since I left, when I come off the highway, I get off on Susquehanna Street, and I turn on Carol, and I sit in front of this park. And the rain, and the winter, and the summer, Kids out here, no kids. I've seen it all, but I'll sit I truly say thank you to everybody. And please continue to support us because this journey is just starting. Kids, get it done on this court. Get anywhere you want to be. The last part I'll leave you with is I thought the journey was the pro basketball. <laughs> I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now. This week on American Reel, we bring you King's Court, King Rice that is, my longtime friend and teammate. From the first day I met King, I knew he was a special person. Not only did he have a tremendous athletic ability from a very young age, but he also had a mental maturity that gave him the tools to become a natural born leader. From playing grammar school basketball while in fourth grade to becoming a high school All-American, in receiving a full basketball scholarship to the University of North Carolina, King has built a life and career around the game. As the head coach of the Monmouth University Hawks, he says his journey has just begun. With the support of his incredible family and the community that raised him, King is determined to make an even greater impact in the years ahead. In our conversation, King talks about his journey as a basketball player and coach, his highs and lows in life, 
including a battle with alcohol, as well as insights into the many people in his life that made an impact on him, including coaches Tom Cordial, Roy Williams, and Dean Smith, who all helped shape the coach he is today. King and I have built a friendship that has lasted a lifetime, and I am grateful to bring this episode to you, as he is one of my most favorite people in all the world. I'm happy to be able to share a small piece of his story with you. Now, if you're interested in finding your voice and sharing your story, I'd like to personally invite you to join our live tribe and take our 21-day challenge in our free private Facebook group. Your challenge will be to post a live 60-second video each day for 21 straight days to build skills of confidence, commitment, leadership, and accountability, all while growing your network with like-minded people from around the world. You'll quickly see how turning up each day gives you more clarity, purpose, and transparency to become your best self. American Real wants to connect you with other high achievers and provide you with the tools you need to become more present and focused in valuing the power of your own story. Click on the link below to join American Real Live Tribe 21 and start your 21-day challenge today. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Coach King Rice. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks, and today my very special guest is King Rice, where for the past seven years you have been the Monmouth University men's head basketball coach, where in 2016 and 2017 you were conference regular season champions. Uh, you were an assistant coach at Vanderbilt, Providence, Illinois State, and Oregon. Uh, from 2001 to 2004, you were the coach of the Bahamas national basketball team. You were a star player point guard for the University of North Carolina, where you played for the legendary Dean Smith. Uh, in high school, you led your team to two New York State championships, where you were named New York Mr. Basketball, and a Parade All-American, a McDonald's High School All-American, and my good friend, King Rice, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here, Raj. Um, it's funny when you say all those things. Uh, I've been very, very fortunate and uh, very blessed. Um, I feel like you've been on this journey with me. Uh, we went to little peewee soccer teams and then high school and I don't know if everybody knows, but you won King of the Court our senior year. Roger was, he, he beat me out. But you beat me out in that. And we've just been great friends and what you've done in the community. And you've always tried to help my life since I was a young cat. And I just always appreciated that. So anything I can do with you is really, really cool for me. Well, thanks. This is, this is a big day for us because uh, American Real is just starting out, and the reason I'm even doing this is I want to tell people stories, and you know uh, how much I respect you and care about you, and you have a great story. We have a lot to talk about today. We go way back, but it's all about being real, and I couldn't think of a more you know, appropriate representative than you, King, because you are real, That's, and it's hard to get that today you know, with people. It's really hard to get to the authentic transparency, and, and that's why I'm so glad to have you here. Well, it's great to be here, and let's have a great conversation. Absolutely. So since you left uh, Binghamton, now it's uh, over 30 years uh, since we graduated, 
Um, you've worked and lived in, in many cities uh, across the country and even, even outside. Um, what's it like coming back home? How does it, how does it feel? I know you touched on it today at the basketball court a little bit, some of the things you do, but what's the feeling you get when you come home? Every time I come home, and it's been happening since I went to the University of North Carolina, I get a special feeling as I'm coming into town. You know, if I had to fly into Philly and drive in, and you hit Scranton, and then you're in a hurry to get home, and once I get on the outskirts, I just get a, a, a great feeling. Um, I always get off on Susquehanna Street, I always turn right on Carroll, stop in front of the, the apartment that we grew that my family grew up in, and just look out at the park. And that's been for 30 years. Um, and I've watched the park grow and be a great place, uh, not a safe place. And now it seems to be coming back. And I'm just glad to be a part of maybe keeping it and making it grow back to what it used to be when I was a kid. Yeah. And what a special day it was today where the city of Binghamton dedicated the basketball court in your name i mean that's that's so special there was a there was a great crowd there um i knew there would be uh, you talked a lot about community today and that how that community really was raised you you know that you looked up to the guys that, that were older than you you had a great support system of course your family was right there for you and um that was such a fine sight to see today well, it's, it's special because those people have watched me grow from a little kid. Um, all of those people that were out there today, you know, I saw Mr. Pace who coached me at St. Mary's when they let me play on the team when I was in fourth grade, okay, and you're supposed to be in seventh grade. Um, there was just so many people that helped, and a lot of it had to do with relationships that my father had. Um, and they would allow me to use their gym, or they would allow me to be able to play in a league before – Maybe we had the money to play in the league. And, um, you know, so today was just such a, a powerful, powerful thing to be a part of. But you never, you never prepare for something like this. And every day I thought about it, last week I started crying. And, and this morning I went to my dad's gravesite and it, it just hit me that this is really about a celebration. And this is not the end. Um, that park... And the people there really propelled my life. And I've gotten to do a lot of cool things. But I'm turning 50 this year, and I just know, you know, and I'm having some successes in my life, you know, so when someone tells you they're doing this, I don't know if I'm worthy of that right now. Um, I just know there's more good to be done. Um, I, I feel like I'm starting to hit my stride. Um, and I always thought the basketball thing was what I was supposed to make it at. I got to do some things that I wanted, buy my parents a house, move my mom, you know, do some cool things. But I always thought by not making it in basketball, I let a lot of people down. Well, it wasn't that I let them down. I set my goals extremely high. I fell a little short. But I still got to live a very blessed life because of the game of basketball. And then getting into coaching... Because of Coach Smith and his relationships, it gave me a great start. And you always want to pay back. So now, I'm, like I said, I'm turning 50. And I always said, man, when I hit 50, I think that's a big-time thing. I, that means you have some experience. Um, and if I can just touch on from when my dad was 50 until he was 80, if I can do half as much as he had done, by the time I get up there, just half as much, 
then I think I'll, I'll feel worthy of having my name on the court. But until then, I, I just always feel like there's more to be done. And those things were cool. Um, I'm very lucky. I don't remember them as well as some people do. Um, I know I wouldn't have been ranked so highly if we weren't having a lot of success. But I also know without great teammates and great friends, you don't get to experience these things. And Rick Coleman played such an important role in me becoming really good. And then I got to go to North Carolina. And a lot of times I think Rick was better than me. So it's, it's, it was cool for me to be able to share this with everyone and let people know, you know, I do have doubts sometimes that if I'm worthy of this. I do want to strive to be better. I do want to impact young kids because there were so many people that impacted me. Wow. And uh, I do want, I want to talk uh, about Rick uh, briefly because um, he, was, he was such a key person in your life. And I was right there in the thick of it, so I saw it every day in and day out. But it also goes to show you how competitive it is to play at the collegiate level that you did at that Division One. So when you think about that, when you think about where you were at that time, when you think about the talent that Rick had, is it that slim to be able to get in? Or do you think someone like Rick could have played on your team? Well, 100%. Um, he came down and, you know, I struggled when I first got there. Okay, I, I think the kids that continue to work on their skills continue to get better. Um, Rick Coleman was a high division one basketball player. I was fortunate I got to go to five-star camp. At that time, Rick didn't get to go. Well, that changed my deal. Um, but 100%, Rick was a high division one basketball player. The other guys on the, in the program on the team were definitely Division I football or basketball players. Mark Olmstead, for sure, in one of the sports, was a Division I basketball, either baseball, basketball, or football, okay? And there was so much talent, so I, I do say to myself sometimes, well, why was I the lucky one, okay? But now that I'm a coach, I do my job a certain way because I pay attention and I really pay attention to who's winning, I pay attention to who's impacting the games because I, as a head coach, I would love to have Rick Coleman on my team. Okay, I had a young man very much like Rick and Josh James. Yeah. There's a good chance I'm going to hire Josh on my staff just because of the impact he had on our program. Justin Robinson was the one that lifted it up and everybody praises Justin. And Josh was really the, the backbone and the strength to everything. And without Josh, there's no Justin. Without Rick Coleman and us playing one-on-one -on -one and jogging from side of town to side of town and playing one-on-one -on -one until we found someone to play us two-on-two -two and saying our dreams to each other while we were running to the next side of town that we were going to make it and we were going to show everybody about Binghamton and we were going to show the older guys that we can make it. And without that, who knows what happened. So Rick, Rick played a major part in my life when we were kids. But as a grown man, he plays a bigger role because we're grown men now and we have grown men conversations and sometimes grown men don't always choose to do the right things. And as friends, you're supposed to point those things out to make sure your friend is understanding the impact that his decision might make on himself and a whole bunch of other people. 
and that's the friendship we have now. We're dads, um, we're husbands, um, we're still silly dudes sometimes when we get together, but there's a powerful thing in, in two guys that grew up together that have had a lot of successes together and then a lot of failures together, a lot of failures separate, and a lot of successes separate, and we get to share that with our kids. That's awesome. So before we jump off of Columbus Park, I wanted to ask, what are some of your fondest memories there, um, especially with your, with your dad? My dad was, you know, that's where I get, you know, I, I, my dad didn't go to school. So that he understood education really, really boggles my mind. Like, I, I still ask those questions because his whole thing to me, he, we were using sports to go to school, okay? And when I started getting older, we had study hall in my house because the coaches told him I would have study hall when I was in college. Robbie Middlebrooks came and had study hall at my house. Wendell would come to my house and have study hall because my dad wanted us all to have an opportunity. So my dad's thing was education, so I, I don't really get how he knew a guy who didn't go to school knew how powerful it would be and that's all he talked to me about. It wasn't, you need to make the pros. It was, son, you need to get an education. So then when you're in situations, no one can ever trick you. And if you have an education, they won't even try to trick you. And I didn't understand that. I didn't even like when he used to say it. But now as a man, I get to see back on my life and see how powerful having a high school diploma is, how powerful having a college degree is. After getting that, I, I didn't go on to get a master's, but I encourage kids on my team to take that next step. And then if you're going to take another step after that, you are, you are almost ensuring that you're going to be a successful person. But I think a lot of people have been tricked into thinking that being good in school is not really cool. And if we could get kids to think that that's cool, or we could flash forward to their lives and just see the guys who did the A work in school are the guys that are the bosses most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all capable of that level work no matter where you're from. And some, some people have more opportunities than others, but you can find ways to make it. And my dad wanted us to use sports for me to get an education. And now I've gotten to give that back. I've gotten to have a great life. I've gotten to have a, a very, very cool deal. And sometimes I don't feel worthy of that. And that's why I know I have to be a better dad. All right, I have to set the right example for my own sons. Um, we talk a lot about we're the last three rice men. So that's a powerful thing that they, they have to live up to um, because my dad lifted it up. And then he lifted it up by teaching me education. Well, now my kids get to go to college automatically because of the life I get to have. And then what we joke about is if Xander and Julian do the lifting that my dad did and I did, then the Rices don't always have to be the workers. And then maybe we can be the ones doing the lifting up. And that's a cool thing. Yeah. I remember seeing your dad in the stands and he, he never really said much, right? But what happened when you got home? That, that's where it's, it's, it's funny because 
people don't even understand, you know, how hard he pushed me. But it was, I never looked at it like he was pushing me too hard. That was our deal, okay? So when I was four and five years old and he had my arm tied behind my back and I was crying, pushing with my left hand, that was his way of getting me not to use my right hand for everything, which was going to make me a better basketball player. At four years old, you're getting laughed at by your buddies in the sandbox. You're crying. You don't want to do it. He's yelling. You don't get it at all. And then when you're eight or nine and you go on a soccer team and can score goals, but you don't understand the game, or you get to play in this Y League with seventh graders and you're in fifth grade, and you're one of the better players, but my dad is pushing and he's pushing. I loved it because then you get to be 12 and everybody in town's going, hey, that kid's pretty cool, you know, and then you're a big, strong kid because you had older brothers that were doing things with you and beating up on you and making you tougher and playing tackle football. So then when you played kids your age in Little League, you know, I had a 18-game strikeout game. You know, now I was a big 12-year-old, so when I think back on that, I think back I was a big 12-year-old. <laughs> you know, a lot of kids weren't as big as me. Right. Um, but my dad put that in me, and then even in high school, people don't know I played football. I might score three touchdowns in the game, and he would say I had to be home by quarter to 11. Well, that meant I couldn't go to Pudgies. That meant I couldn't go hang out with everybody. So how could you be cool when you was the first kid that had to be home? So there was a lot of times I was mad at him about that, okay? And then you have a lot of success with your friends, and you got to be the one that goes home so that all the pretty girls hang out with them. So you kind of like that. So now who's making me do this is him. So then you get resentful that he made you do all this stuff. And then your senior year when every, you had a lot of success winning football and basketball, people don't know he came to every one of my practices. And if I didn't totally dominate the whole practice with what Mr. Cordial put in front of me, we had to walk home. <laughs> All right, we didn't have a car. <laughs> so on the days that I did it right, and this is when everybody already said I was All-American. Okay, if I didn't dominate practice to his degree, we had to walk home. If I did, <laughs> then Mr. Cordial could bring us home. And then if I didn't and we walked home, we just, he just said, well, what, something has to be wrong. Well, nothing's wrong. They just didn't dominate today. Well, then you're not doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Let's talk about that pressure, though, King, for, for a kid. Was that purposeful for you? Oh, 100%. He did it. I never saw it that way. I, I look back as a grown-up and go, wow, what he was doing, because I have kids. I see how my sons look at me, and I'm like, man... <laughs> Couldn't have had my dad, okay, but that's how people raised their kids then, okay? And he needed me to have an education. There was no way he could pay for it. He saw everybody give you a scholarship to go for nothing because we didn't have it like that. And because he didn't have an education, my dad was a working man, but without an education, you can't read, you can't write, you can't do a lot of things. Well, then people aren't going to hire you for the jobs that he could work in. 
he'd outwork people, but he couldn't get the job and the union and the stuff behind him because he didn't have an education. So his thing was education. And the only way I was getting one was through sports. He did not, and not because he wasn't patriotic, he tried to join the Navy, couldn't. Because hmm. back when he was young, brothers didn't get a lot of opportunities to join the Navy. Okay, so the military thing, that wasn't his thing for me, education was. And because he did it the way he did it, okay, I'm the lucky one. I always think, how come I was the one that had him as a dad? Because I get to do all kinds of stuff. It never was pressure. Then I was winning all the time. All right, I didn't even know I didn't like it. That was our deal. Okay, then you fast forward to Carolina days when I wasn't having success and I would call him. It was the same conversation. Well, you're not doing something right because you would be playing if you're doing something or if you're trying to dominate every day. So don't call here with excuses, King. Wow. Okay, so then my mom would love on me and build me up. And I had the best deal. Okay, like I'm... As a grown-up, you think back and you go, well, wow, well, I get to do it with my sons. Now, how I think is you do it. But how my dad did it, he thought 100% that was the way to do it, to get me where he had to get me. A lot of kids grew up in our time, got spankings. A lot of kids did. Sure. Okay? That's how parents did it then. They got spankings when they were kids. Your grandparents spanked your dad, okay? That's how it was back then. Then your dad spanked you, okay? Now, because of my journey and the people I've gotten to meet and the conversations I've gotten to have and lifting it up isn't just a financial thing. Because of me going to Carolina and spending time with Dean Smith and the people you get to meet and the people you get to be around, well, there's bigger thinkers, there's different thinkers, there's all kinds of different things that you get to experience. Well, then the person that I end up marrying never been spanked. Well, then we had back and forth with that for years while we were dating. Then we had a kid, Alexander, and I've never spanked him. Okay, and then with my friends who had kids after, I'd try to get them not to, but I'd try not to tell someone how to do with their child. But I've seen... Kids who get spanked, I've seen myself. I see how I react to some things. Okay, I'm quick to respond. Maybe that had a little bit to do with getting spanked. I didn't like, maybe. Was it right that my dad spanked me? 100%. I did a lot of things. But now I get to look at things and see how they impacted my friends' lives. People I know that went the right way and wrong way have conversations. Have conversations with people who didn't get spanked see how they do and deal with problems that come up in their lives. And then you say, well, man, maybe I shouldn't spank. And now my son has never been spanked by his father, which I think is a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. I had the privilege of having literally a front row seat um, for your high school career. I don't know if you remember, I typically grabbed a camera. Yeah, you always had pictures. And I was right there. And, uh, you know, it's funny that that I'm still doing some of that today. Uh, what I love, but it, you know, it was a very special era. There was, a, as you mentioned, Rick and, and Wendell and Robbie. There was a lot of gifted athletes: uh, Mark Olmstead, Mark Young, you know, Perna. You could just go on and on. Lance Blanford. Lance, wow. 
Um, but what, what really stands out for me, King, is that I feel, at, at least at that time, you were able to elevate these guys around you. So, yes, there, there was a lot of talent there, but it just seemed that when you all were out there, it went up a notch. And it takes a leader to do that. And I remember when we were young, you used to write down a lot. Just used to write on your notebook a lot and used to write Playmaker. Do you remember that? Playmaker. I, I had a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Garage, but. So, but that, that, that stood out to me. And um, now that you're a coach, does it take a special person to be able to elevate the rest of Justin Robinson, a King Rice? Well, I, I, you know, what I look at my deal, um, I think I tried to play the right way. Um, we were all kind of best friends. So uh, I'm deep with friendship. So you always wanted to do right by your buddies on the floor. If you had to say something to get them going, you had to say it. Um, if you had to pat them on the back, you had to do it. But they did that for me also. So I, I never thought I'm the leader of this deal. I, I, I just did the things that I always did. Um, and that has to go back to being the youngest boy in the house. Okay, my brothers, what people don't understand, I lost a whole bunch because my brothers beat me until I was probably 14. So I might win out in the park or somewhere else, but my brother Michael reminded me all the time, you're not that good, you can't beat me. Okay, so playing with the older guys, okay, people, and I could have told stories all day today, but one of the things was in the park, I would be out there early because I was a little kid. I'd wake up, I'd grab my ball, and I'd run across the street to the park. And I would be out there shooting before the park superintendent or the guy that was in charge of the park for the summer was there. I would already be playing. Well, then the older guys would start to come. Well, now my dad would come across, but there was one ball. It was my ball that my dad gave me. So I would be out there shooting, and then the older guys would come. There's one ball, so how are we going to play? Well, they would be like, all right, they pick teams, and I wouldn't get picked because I was too young. But it's your ball. That's where my dad came in. Okay, they might play the first game because he understood. But then he would say, hey, guys, if he can't get in, you don't get to use his ball. <laughs> Give me his ball. We'll go down here. I'll work with my son. Well, then when you're nine and everybody's 16 and the guys come home from college, but you got to be in because there's one ball and it's yours. Well, then you got to learn how to do. You're not going to score. So everybody's going to take the little guy's ball. So now you got to learn how to handle the ball really, really well. And take bumps because they're going to knock you down. So now I'm fast and you get away from people. And then you, everybody in the park knew who the best scorer was. So then you threw it to him and he would go do his thing. And then now you're 10. <laughs> and then by the time you're 12, you're starting to get your shoulders curved. And now them dudes know you can get everybody the ball. So everybody likes to play with you because now you're not going to shoot. <laughs> You're just going to throw it to them, and you know how to throw it right to them the perfect way because you watched them since you were a little kid. And then when they started letting you play, you gave it to them because you just wanted to get rid of it so they didn't take it from you. So then you learn how people like to have things, okay? And then playing point guard, 
everybody here is you're the coach on the floor. Well, I played that position. I have the ball. If you want the ball, you got to do what I say or I'm not throwing it to you. I'll throw it to him. Well, that kind of makes guys listen to you. Okay, so I always had the ball, and I didn't care if I scored. I just wanted to win. I thought I was really cool because we won. And if I got 25 or 30 and we lost, I wasn't that cool. Because guess who was going to make me be home at quarter to 11? And guess who was going to sit me in the living room or in the kitchen and talk all night? Guess who was going to wake me up at 6 in the morning to see what was going on in my life that had me lose? And I wasn't going to deal with that. So you kind of playing that position, understanding getting people the ball, then competing with your best friend. You keep getting better, getting better, getting better. Competing one-on-one against everybody, you win a lot. Well, maybe I am going to be the guy. Doing waking up running every day when other guys didn't. I was not going to be stopped at making it. <laughs> okay, and that, my dad didn't say that. He just kept putting me in environments, and I liked it. And then when you're 14 and 15 and you can play with anybody in town, you're beating the guys who start on the varsity team and all that, well, that's a pretty cool life to have for a young kid. It wasn't pressure then. It was like, everybody watch out. I'm just starting this. And it enabled me to use this great game of ball, and I'm still using it. Yeah. So you excel through high school. One of the things I've always, uh, again, admired, um, and, you know, look, the truth is you were a role model even back when we were in school. Um, but one of the things I really admired is that you were also always so respectful, uh, especially to the, to the adults around. And um, um, I don't see a lot of that today. You know, it, I, I, don't, I don't know what's happened, you know, through the generations. But, uh, again, back to your childhood, I mean, is that something your parents instilled in you? Well, uh, 100%. Okay. Um, that was my dad. I, I still, I call everybody Mr. and Mrs., like Mr. Cordial, Mrs. Cordial. And Mrs. Cordial always said, no, King. And, oh, yes, Mrs. Cordial. Okay. Coach Stallings, who I worked for, his wife was Mrs. Stallings. Um, I met, talked to the head of the NABC, the Basketball Coaches Association. He said, call me Red. No, no, I'm not, mister. <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm not that old. No, I understand, but my dad would not play that. Okay, Dr. McNeil, my boss, she tells me to call her by her first name all the time. It's just not my thing. Um, I just show a level of respect because people have earned that level of respect to me. Um, and you're supposed to do that. I teach my team that. I teach my sons that. Um, sometimes when I'm mad, I lose that a little bit, but... If I see somebody's parent, I am going to calm that man down and be respectful to them. And it's just, I was raised that way, um, and I think it's the right thing to do. Now, it's really different now. I see it too, okay? And that's where a lot of the, when I talk today about, you know, what I struggle with because my background a lot of things happened, okay? 
And I touched on it today when I talked about the park being a safe place and a great place to grow up and how vibrant it was. And then I talked about when I left and that was right around the time crack hit. And then all kinds of things across the country, across the world. And there's not a lot of fathers out there. A lot of people got incarcerated, caught up for one reason or another. And that leads to not a lot of dads. And if you take the dads out of any community, any community, what's going to come behind it is not going to be a positive thing. Some of my friends went away. A lot of people went away. And, um, you know, you're, when you get older, you just see things through a different set of lenses. And you say, well, wow. You know, and that's where if in any community, in any community, no matter which one it is, you take the richest community in the world and you take away all the fathers, that community won't stay the richest community in the world anymore. And that's happened in our communities and it's really more poorer communities than a color community. But the poorer communities, the fathers get taken away. And then if my dad got taken away, I'd probably be mad. So then, then now I'm mad. And then when I have a kid, if I get taken away, then hit my kid is mad. And we're just a couple of generations into young poor communities growing up without their dads and it's really been a, a not good for the whole country and hopefully you know like I said I'm, I'm on this journey and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things and I get to sit in a powerful seat and that's what I mean I know there's more things that I can help with I, I, I do what I'm what I feel like I'm supposed to and it always makes a major impact so you know, maybe I need to broaden it a little more and, and be willing to um, step out there a little bit even more. You know, I, I like I said, sometimes I don't see myself as that person, the worthy person that someone should be listening to me. But a lot of people tell me that, that maybe I should look at it more like that. And I do have a pure heart. I don't judge anybody on whatever you're doing. And I'm willing to help people. And... I'm also willing to put myself out there where people might shoot, might take shots at you. Um, but that's okay. People are going to take shots at you sometimes, and I'm willing to take that step to stand up for what I feel is right. And if it's proven to be wrong, then I will say I'm sorry I stood up the wrong way. But it's uh, something's going on with me right now that, you know, hopefully... God willing, I get to do a lot of cool things. That's great, King. And honestly, I think there's there's a shift happening anyway. I, I feel the same way. Like, I've never been more willing to put myself out there than now. I don't know if it's just our, our time clock, our internal time clock, but, and I talk to other people that are in the same, you know, same, going down the same journey. So I think if more people do this, this will help, you know, the overall world you know, and, and help our, our, our youngsters, help, you know, the families. And uh, we have to do whatever we can. Even when we were at the park today, you know, you and I were looking around. We have to do our part, and we're only here for such a short time. So um, I, I think it's awesome that, uh, that you're taking this next step, you know, in, in your journey. 
No, and it, you know, I, you, you think back and, you know, my parents understood what education can do. But I remember a lot of times when they had the weekly readers and if you pulled out the little thing in the back and got books and everybody would get like eight books and I would get one book like every fifth time we did it. And that one time I got booked was the coolest thing ever. And that was our journey. I never looked at it like we didn't have things. But now I, I look at how I get to have the life that I have and the things that my sons get to experience. They're growing up in a very worldly way. The people they get to have contact with, the thought process of the people that they get to be around. Just to open their minds up, they're way more forward thinkers than me just because how they're being raised and the things they're getting to experience. And then I think about just kids in the community that I came from, and that's who they have to compete against. Those kids have to compete against my sons. Well, my sons both have a computer. That's the way the world's going. That, that kind of came after me, so I'm not a big computer guy, but I make it for my team, for my kids, for everybody I can because I know that's the way the world is going. But then I see kids that don't have the access to a computer and I say, well, how is that fair to that kid, you know, that he doesn't have access to that? So then growing up, of course, unless something drastic changes, they don't have the, they're not, they don't have the same chances that my kids are going to have. So how can I help them to overcome that? Well, going back home more and, and talking, letting everybody know I'm not as busy as everybody says. I think that's the thing now. Everybody thinks they're busy because of these phones, when really if you put your phone down, you're sitting there, and if you don't touch it, you're really not that busy. Okay? And, and this social media thing got everybody trying to keep up with what people put out there on the thing. Well, no one wakes up and takes their ugly picture and puts it out there. So no one wakes up and shows you how grumpy they are. For 90% of their day, that 10% that they show you, we all trying to keep up to that. I never dress like this. But I have some clothes I can put on and really look sharp, though. And But every day you see me, I'm going to have some jeans on and a T-shirt on where you say, man, he's a head coach. And But people are going to see this and go, that's what King is. And no, I'm Columbus Park. I'm Binghamton. I'm just like the people from here. I get mad fast sometimes when I shun it. I got a big old heart. People from here give you the shirt off their back. They won't have anything. They'll give you the last and go figure out how they're going to figure out how to get some more. That's me. And I just know I, I can do more things. Um, I can do way more things. I told the mayor. I gave him my phone number. Because I will come back here. I tell the school all the time, and then people don't call, and then they say, oh, he's so hard to get. No, you don't call and reach out because I would help. I would help the guys in the community, a couple young fellas that I know how they're living, came up crying today, and I said, my man, I'll help you forever. I've known your family before you was born, boy. <laughs> and I know how hard it is out here now. This is what I do, but I just get to do it with kids who play hoop. Okay, and I will help people from here. That's why anybody hits me up or calls or anything, I always do stuff. I run into people wherever I'm at in the world, and they say Binghamton. I stop and talk forever, okay, because I love being from here. 
Um, I love what the school is growing, the university. I see the, the energy of all these kids down here. The kid that I spoke to sitting in front of the building yesterday, I, I should have asked him where he's from, but it was an Asian kid. He could not believe I said hello. All right, well, then why aren't the community, you live in the middle of the community, well, maybe we got to reach out like the Urban League did. Our family was the mixed family that lived in the middle of the park that wasn't accepted. Everybody didn't want to talk to my family. And my father sent us out there anyways. Why not talk to the college student that's going up to the university every day? He sees these kids every day. Maybe just that saying hello. Maybe the kids from up there will do like big brother and big sister and come down on a bus or take them in their car and bring them up there on Saturday morning so these kids from the park get to see this school that's three and a half to four miles from them like I got to see, and that's when I believed I could go to college. But then when I went to college, that's when I realized what those guys were doing for me when I was nine and 10 years old and I was running around the campus acting wild because I had never really been anywhere and I was up on that campus and they were college students on their weekends giving to kids. Those guys were from New York City. They weren't from Binghamton, but they were donating their time. They looked like me. They were in college. That made me think, oh, of course you're going to college. And then you get to college, and a lot of guys, I'm the first one in my family, and now my sister went, now her kids went, my kids are going, my brother Pat's kids went, and it just a, one generation, how different it is. And you get to see all these things that I had no understanding of when I was running around that park. All right, the dude's name is Greg. His nickname is Zoom. He was a college student from New York that took time with us with Big Brother and Big Sister. And he's still at the park doing it. Like, it's, that's unbelievable wow. to me. And it just, so all those people, so now at Monmouth, some people get to come that their dad's doing what my dad was doing. Just because you get to come. I go to Asbury Park and talk all the time. I go to Long Branch and talk. I bring kids from those communities that no one's ever were a mile from their school and they've never been on our campus. And then when they come, I tell them no mean mugging. And I walk around smiling all the time. I said, look where I get to be the coach of, guys. You, we ain't mean mugging around here. I understand when you're home, you might have to mean mug, but look, we ain't home right now. Smile. Smile. Let this out, man. There's no reason to be walking around like this right now. And that's what I do with my team. And then my kids have to speak to every student they walk past. Because I went through college not speaking to everybody. And the kids thought we were cocky. We thought they didn't like us. And all we had to do was say hi. And we probably would have had even a better time in Chapel Hill. <laughs> okay? So why not talk? Everybody knows who you are. Just say hi. Yeah. Those kids know who you are. And when you walk past them and you don't say hi, then they go, the basketball players think they're better than everybody. And then when you say hi, they go, Oh, man, that guy's really cool. He's in my English class, man. He's really a bright guy. They all, everybody thinks athletes aren't smart. These dudes are really sharp. And then I teach them that just saying hello, you might have an idea that the kid's walking past you, and you need this one little thing right here. You got this whole chair, but this one thing right here is not holding it together. And that kid you walk past only got this one thing, but his vision is that chair. And one day you stop and talk, and he says, man, I've been doing this thing, but I only got this. And you say, man, that's what I've been looking for. And he goes, 
what do you got? And you got the chair, and then you put it together, and now y'all started a business and are successful forever just by saying hello to somebody. Just because you're smiling and walking past someone, and when someone asks you how you're doing, you say, outstanding. People go, well, why are you outstanding? I want some of that. And it's like, or you could go, I'm all right. Well, when someone does that to me, I'm not letting you bring me down to all right. So I'm going to say, well, why is it just all right? And then usually they're not just all right. You're just so conditioned to say, oh, I'm just all right. That your self-talk got you feeling just all right. But then you're mad at me because I'm smiling and excited because I wake up and go, Woo, boy, I'm the luckiest dude. I'm healthy, I think. <laughs> okay, I got great things going on. Lord, thanks for waking me up today. And that gives me smiling. Okay, I'm not better than anybody. I'm not anything, but that's how I get to go. And now I'm smiling, so now I'm cool. I'm not mad at anybody. Why are you mad at me for smiling? Yeah, and it's amazing. So, right? I could just imagine. It's, it's infectious, right? So if, if you have your team going around campus doing that, you know, hopefully the, the kids that are engaging with them are starting to do it on their own mm -hmm. and engaging with others. So it becomes a better community. There you go. And, and we're, we're all on this small campus. All of them think they're so cool, just like I did. Now, 18-year-old thinking he's so cool really bugs me right now. I think I might have been the coolest 18-year-old <laughs> ever to walk. I don't know. For a minute, I, at least I had some time in there. You know, but right now, 18-year-old so cool. I'm like, you're not that cool, kid. Well, why does it bug me now? Well, because I'm older. Step back. This generation is doing some incredible, incredible things. And embrace it. Be a part of it. All right? I don't know what 50 is supposed to feel like. I've been waiting for this number to get there. I'm not quite there yet, but I can't wait. Um, and if this is what 50 is supposed to, you know, I always thought, man, he's 50. Oh. That's old. And now I'm almost 50, and I'm like, all right, I feel great. My mind's working better than it has probably ever. Um, God willing, like I keep saying, long as I stay healthy, uh, I like the way this journey is going. So we talked a lot about college, and um, you had a lot of options when, when it came time for you to choose. And you, you had a nice story today about Rick Callahan, who was the assistant coach at Syracuse, trying to recruit you, and he is now your assistant coach. But if you can, King, take us back to 1987, 86, 87, when you decided to go to UNC. What was that decision like? You know, what's crazy is you, you have these dreams, and you, you think you can do something, and you're, you're trying to get there. And then these people start showing up at your house, and everybody seems to like your game and what you bring to the table. And all the best coaches in the country are saying they'd love for you to be a part of their program. And it was really, really cool because not a lot of people got to experience that from here to that point. So there was really not a someone that had blazed that path to so I could follow in footsteps. So we had to lean on Mr. Cordial. Mr. Cordial helped my family so much, his whole family, through that process. Um, keeping the right people next to me, giving us great ideas, how to navigate all that we were experiencing. Um, it was really, really a fun thing to be able to go through that and share it with my friends. And when Coach Smith came to my house and all these people were outside in the newspaper and all that stuff, 
that was all really cool stuff. Um, going to Five Star, I became a Rick Patino fan. Like, I really, really thought if I went with him, I could make the pros. Um, Syracuse from eighth grade, I always wanted to go to the Q's. Just that's where I was going to go. And then after Pearl hit when I was in ninth grade, after he got done, I was going there and it was going to be my deal. Okay, and that was pretty much how my mind was looking at it. Then Patino was coming hard because he was getting guys to become pros. And that's what I really wanted. And I always wanted Georgetown to recruit me and I always wanted North Carolina to recruit me. And when North Carolina came hard, I remember riding around town showing people the letters from them. And that one just really made me feel different um, right from then. But I still knew I was going to Syracuse. Long story short, I visited Notre Dame. People don't even know I'm half Irish. <laughs> I grew up loving Notre Dame. Just We watched all their games and stuff that we could get, football, all that stuff, and went on that visit first, and it was cool, but the visit was, it didn't, I didn't leave there feeling like I'm 100% going there. I saw myself, I could go here, it would be cool. Went to NC State, thought I could see myself there. Um, but some things happened on the visit with their teams. A couple of guys on the team got into some stuff, and it was kind of funny while I was there. But it's like, man, if that's how they get down, I don't know if I will be there. And then I went to Chapel Hill. And uh, first off, I, I went on November 1st. Um, the day before, we had SAT class. So I was supposed to go on Friday or something and couldn't go. I had to take the SAT in the morning. And they flew up here in a private jet and picked me up. And you could do that then. They picked me up. We flew down to Raleigh. They brought me in. They took me up in the coach's box. You could do that then, too. And I met Phil Ford and his father in Coach Smith's box just to say, you know, they were in there, said hello. And and sat with Coach Smith for a few. Then he put me with Kenny Smith and was walking around with Kenny. And by Sunday, I knew I was going there. I knew that was different. I had been to Syracuse a thousand times, and I always wanted to go there, but I could just tell Chapel Hill was different. Um, that was what was the feeling you had? Everything, just the, the camaraderie with the guys, um, having an opportunity to play for North Carolina. Um, Coach Smith. Um, everything about it was incredible, and I just knew while I was there. That was the only visit I bought a shirt and hat on. I didn't have much money, and I bought something there. I didn't tell anybody. I just put it in my bag, and when I came home, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I ended up canceling my Providence visit in Syracuse. Um, Coach Patino was cool. Coach Digger Phelps was not that cool. Um, Coach Bernie Fine, that was a hard one because um, Bernie had put a lot of time into it with me too. Um, and Coach Beheim said he really understood and was really happy for me. And um, But once that visit happened, I knew that was the place for me. So after that, it really wasn't that hard. The hard part was not telling everybody. And it was 100%, 100%. The right one for me. And 
it, the only part is if I did it again, I would make some changes and not get in my own way so much. But I'm getting to not do it again. I get to do it again 13 times with every player, <laughs> okay? So I'm showing them in the way I coach them away from the bad decisions. I'm getting to do it again. I don't get to do it personally, but I'm getting to show these guys, don't, don't do these things. That's not who you are before they even start them. And uh, that's a pretty cool thing. And King, I know you've been uh, uh, outspoken about this um, in the past, and I'd like to touch on it if you don't mind, and that is uh, your relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and we've all been there, right? Um, but you made a choice many years ago, and tell us about that. Well, Roger, I didn't really drink in high school till later in my high school deal, and it was that was another part of me making it. In my mind, pro athletes didn't drink alcohol. Right. Yeah, I remember being a sophomore, telling a junior, telling on Brundage for drinking at a party. <laughs> he still reminds me of that all the time, and we laugh about it, but. I was driven to, to do things, and the rule was you weren't supposed to drink alcohol, okay? So don't at least don't drink it in front of me if, or I will tell on you, all right? I had already shown I'm trying to get somewhere, and everybody should be, you don't have to be on the basketball team. You didn't have to sign the letter, you know, saying you would do all this stuff. So that was something that I never thought would be a part of my life. I watched, once again, in that park, a lot of things. I listened to all the stories, how guys were so good and had pitfalls and got in trouble and drugs, alcohol, that stuff just wasn't going to be me. Um, when people say, oh, this catches everyone, well, it catch it's not going to catch me. Right? I'm going to make it through whatever. And then, you, you know, I have some wine coolers, always would get sick, and my sister would help me hide it, so I went... My dad wouldn't be mad, and it just never was my thing. And then you get to college, and everybody does it. All the guys on the team, all the pro guys that come back, and it just was like, yeah, I'd do it too then, you know? And that was the first time I ever really just did things because everybody else was doing it. And there was no possible way in my mind <laughs> that I could ever be an alcoholic. What are you talking about? No way, no way, no how, whatever. And... But it was in my family, and my mom would say stuff about things early on. Hey, don't mess with that. And I stayed away from it forever and then just started doing it, started doing it, got myself in jams, kept doing it. And some of the things that are your best things are your worst things. I'm competitive. I don't like, didn't really at that age, didn't like people telling me what I could do and couldn't do. So now I'm on this spiral of drinking and drunk all the time and not all the time, but a lot and only got in trouble at times when I was drinking, never got in trouble when I wasn't, but still never thought I'm alcoholic. Then everybody's alcoholic. Y'all drink too. Everybody drinks, blah, 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 blah. Um, very fortunate in a lot of ways uh, and at Illinois State. I only drank nine years, 18 to 27. And I tell the story that I thought I was really good at it, okay? Like really super good drinker guy. Like I could drink anything, a beer, liquor, shots, wine, whatever, all in the same night. It didn't matter. <laughs> Wherever I was at, that's what they had. That's how we did. 
and never looked at it like, okay, I'm the one that's the wild one. Everybody else went home and chilled out. I'm the one that's the wild one. People would say, man, you wild boy. Well, uh, you wild boy too. Well, then got to drinking and driving and you have to look at things realistic. And I was 27 years old. I was a college basketball coach and that happened. And Right then, I was like, I'm never drinking again. I just said it to myself. I'm never doing this again. Come on, man. What are you doing, bro? You're not a kid anymore. You're not a kid, King. And I said, I'm not going to drink anymore. Kevin Stallings was my boss. Um, he said, I'm not going to fire you, which I should have probably gotten fired. You're a coach, and that happens. And he didn't. Mr. Greenspan, my boss, said, you're not getting fired. We love what you're doing. This is you need to look at this seriously. I said, I'm never going to do it again. And then I went to some things, some court things before court so I could get out in front of it and do all the little things you're supposed to do. But because I had been in jams throughout college and different things, it was like, well, I'm going to really go and talk to these people and not hide anything and really talk. And when I got done talking, the guy said, well, you're not, no one can tell you if you're alcoholic or not. And he was like, and, and you, you're going to be okay. And his name was Merlin, okay? <laughs> and I tell the story, he was a soft talker. So he'd be like, King, everything's going to be all right. And I'd be like, Merlin, stop soft talking me. <laughs> and uh, he thought I was at a certain place that if I stayed in that place and kept going the way I was going, it could be a major problem. Um, but if you have a drinking and driving, there's something there that you got to really look at. Then he talked to Summer, and she told him her side of things. And then he thought I needed more, more time, more tutoring. I don't really want to call it. Just, uh, he told, I didn't go into any type of inpatient thing. But he said, you should probably do, just to impress the court, 75 hours of going in and talking Counseling to people. Type. And uh, so, I, of course, I was facing a DUI, so I'm like, sure, I'll do whatever. And I was mad at Summer because I was like, when I talked to him, he said I only had this. And then you talked to him in 75 hours. Well, I never saw what, how it was hurting her because I would just leave and she would be hurting. I'd come home, she would be asleep. <laughs> Next day, she was back to normal. I wasn't drinking during the day. It wasn't, I'd go to work, everything cool. Then that night, she'd be upset, but the next day she'd be cool. So I didn't see what it was doing to her. So she just told her truce to Merlin. And then that was, you should come in here 75 hours. That would make the court satisfied, different things. So I started going, but I was reluctant. I was kind of mad. I still wasn't going to drink, but I was mad. And I would go and I would just sit there pouting. And it was, they had some parts where you went into a group deal, like an AA thing where people would come in at night and no one do just the AA part. I would do different parts of it, talk to Merlin, do the AA part. They had to do a class learning about alcohol, and then you had to do like an arts and craft thing. And I'd go sit in there and I wouldn't say anything. And I'd go to the next thing and I'd be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. go to the next thing, mm -hmm, and Merlin just be like, it's okay, let him do and do how he has to do. But I'd hear all the people talking. And as I'm going through it, I'm not as mad anymore. Well, it's not really bugging me to be there. 
Now I start listening because one of the guys there says, hey, King, I don't know if you're alcoholic or not, bro, but um, I was sober for 13 years, man. And then I thought I could do it again. And now I'm back in here. So whatever you're doing, bro, keep doing it. Don't come back. He's like, 13 years, man, I thought I could do it again. So just listen, even though you ain't saying anything. And he looked just like my brother Donald. Mm. Okay, and I'm looking at this cat. At first, I'm like, you're not like me, man. What are you talking to me? And he just kept talking, and I just started looking at him. I'm like, man, he looks like my brother. And he just kept talking and kept talking. And so then I started listening. I'm sitting there with Merlin. I'm sharing more. And I knew I wasn't going to drink. But I learned about alcoholism. Well, as soon as I learned about it, I started sharing. <laughs> Because it was like, okay, these people are different to me. They don't know my deal. I play ball. I'm the coach. Well, I'm in there with them. So all that don't matter. And I would say, I'm king, and I like to drink a lot. And they would get mad because you're supposed to say I have a problem with alcohol and stuff. I like to have a lot. <laughs> and then they was like, he can't keep coming if this is what he's going to do. And Merlin would be like, let him do how he's going to do. You know, and then, but then you start listening. After that guy talked to me, like when I say I had to go to arts and crafts, when we went to the next room, they'd be like, Marlon, say, well, King, today, we're going to draw how we're feeling. And man, I just sit there like, man, this dude, no, man, you talk soft. You know that? You talk soft. Maybe if you don't talk so soft, I'll draw something. <laughs> just like wasting everybody's time. But after that guy talked to me, Marlon's like, King, just draw how you're feeling. Get the pen, mark it. Big O's, no, little tiny sun, like this big. <laughs> big old cloud, gray, black, lightning bolts. And then one person standing there, and then I'd give it to him. Be like, that's how I'm feeling, man. And he'd be like, whoa, you're And I think I'm joking in there, playing with this man, and now he's thinking I'm really bugging. And then he just would talk to me and be like, this is really how you feel? And I'm like, man, I'm just messing with y'all. Well, why would you pick this to draw to? And just, so now you're sitting in there, you're hearing stories. And it's like, man, they're not like me, but I did that. I did that. I don't have kids, so I couldn't have done that. But all the other stuff she's saying, I was doing that. I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. Then you come back the next time you got to go. I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. And then people would come up to you and go, whatever you do, just don't start again. And I was like, well, I'm never going to start again. But once I learned about it, it just became, and, and I had to do some things differently. They tell you, change your friends. They tell you, don't go where you always go. They tell you, you got to have a sponsor. They tell you a lot of things. And that was bugging some people, too, because I didn't change any of my friends. I went to the same bars all the time. I changed me. I didn't need to drink. I always said that. I liked it. I liked it. Okay? And then I, when I think deeply about it, well, I always had to act right because I was the basketball guy that had to act right when I would have a lot of drinks. There was none of that, and that was cool to me. I didn't even understand it until after 10 years of not doing it anymore. Okay, so people go through this thing and it didn't get me to where it has a lot of people. So then I'm like, well, man, maybe I'm the fortunate one again. 
because it got a lot of people close to me. Well, then you put a little time together, everything got better. How I looked, how I felt, my thoughts, my relationship with Summer, my relationship with my family, with everything. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, I'm dumb sometimes. I'll say, I look dumb. I'm not that dumb. Okay, things got better. Okay, that just kept showing me that was the issue. Everybody else might have seen it. And I went to my friends and told all of them, hey, I got to stop drinking. I'm never drinking again. And everyone that was my true friend said, King, that's awesome, man. Yo, that's the best news you could have ever said. Man, you used to be so messed up, man. And my thing to them was, why didn't you say anything? And their thing was, King, you wouldn't have listened if we said something. And they were right. Because as soon as they said it, I was make it out of here, get out of here. And then I'm telling you, I never had to drink. It never got to that point. I really liked it. Okay, so then as you put time together and you learn about the disease of alcohol, there's no shame in this. I would be hiding if I was still doing it all these years. Okay. Drinking was one thing that I thought I was really good at, that I stunk at. From the beginning, I threw up almost every time when I started. And it took me all the way down to wrong things. A lot of them. You take that out of my life, everything gets back to cool. And it's like, well, all right, I'm an alcoholic, guys. (laughs) All right. What people think alcoholics are, it's almost the opposite. Because my first thing was, I'm not an alcoholic. I make it to work every day. That told Merlin, "Uh uh-oh, he might be one. Because, of course, alcoholics make it to work every day because you go to work every day to make sure nobody can call you alcoholic. Mm. Because you know you drink too much. (laughs) But nobody's going to tell you because no, it's not too much. That might be too much for you. It ain't too much for me because this is what I'm choosing in my life. And you keep messing up, messing up, everything around you. And no one can tell you. (laughs) And so that I learned about it, there was no shame at all. And I tell people all the time, I can do a lot of cool things that people look at and go, wow, he gets to do a lot of cool things. Drinking alcohol is one thing that I know 100% I can't do. (laughs) And I'm cool with that. Wow. I've been cool with it. Um, I have always been from that day once I stopped. Like now it's 22 years. If my friends ever saw me get ready to anything, they would, like, tackle me before I did it. Because I know, but that's the thing. The longer people go, the more you think you can do it. And that's what happens. There was another guy in there that it was over 27 years. He started again. His kids never saw him drink one time. His, their dad was the great dad. But before they were around, dad was wow. And mom and dad made it through and he stopped before the babies came. And he made it all the way through. The babies are grown, 25, 26, 27 years old. And he started again and he was in there with me telling stories. And it was like, whoa, whoa. And he was like, damn, don't do it again. Once you get time, and that's the thing. I'm like, I could be in any environment. I could do anything. And I haven't ever 
Okay, not one, not by myself, not thinking, oh, I could do this. Like twice when I first stopped, someone put their drink. I had a Sprite and they had a thing and it got to like right here. And then I freaked out. Like, what if that's my trigger? What if that? And then nobody could put their drink by mine anymore. But I have never from that time, never taken a sip of alcohol. And everything is so much cooler. I'll be a fool to go back that way. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it's inspiring to hear that story. And um, I guess, you know, as I sit here and listen to you, it's, it's you, man. It's, you're a warrior. Hmm. You're a winner. So when you put your mind to something, and I think it's with all of us, you know, if we put our minds to something we really are passionate about, we could achieve it, even if there are demons, right? No, and, and that's when I, I keep saying, Raj, that something's happening with me. I spent a lot of my grown-up time, and, and not in a detrimental way. Like, I'm not trying to paint this picture. I'm just sharing things that, how I'm growing. And it, I spent a lot of time in my own being, self feeling like I had to apologize for some of those actions because a lot of people were counting on a lot of things. And I never, it wasn't a pressure type of thing. I just knew I was connected to a lot of people that were pulling for me to do great things. And so when I didn't make the pros and those types of things, I've and, and became mad about different things and walked around frowning a lot. And, you know, it just, I spent a lot of time now that I'm past that apologizing for being like that, apologizing for maybe running past somebody or running over top of somebody and not being as considerate as maybe they would have been. Um, but I also spend time in this place of how I am and, and I'm growing, but that's what got me to here. That drive, that, that I'm, I'll tell on you even if it gets you in trouble, if you're not doing right to get there, that, Yes, I can make McDonald's All-American. I don't care that everybody in this town tells me I can't. Okay, and I made deals with Brundage's older brother. He was supposed to buy me a car if I made it. When I was like 10, I told him I would make it. And that I was going to be good at football once we decided to play football, me and my boys. And I wanted to be the best one. And I wanted to make the pros and, and be the best point guard. And then it goes how it goes. And... You get in trouble here and there, and you you don't feel as good about all those things that you were striving to do because those were pain things that I inflicted on people. My actions did to people. So you you spend some. I've spent time really apologizing, and I feel like that's one of the things about this thing happening at this park. Because in my mind, Dr. McNeil, my boss. King, stop apologizing, all right? Stop. And I'm past all those things. I've grown. That's why I share so much with them. But that I do. I coach a certain way because I don't want people to think of this. And I don't. Well, you know what? All the stuff that I did and how I did, the good, bad, ugly, is what made me be me. And I'm cool with who I am, all right? Everybody's not going to understand. And I do want more. 
I want more for my kids. I want more for this community. I want more for a lot of communities that remind me of my own community. And I want to help, and I still get too mad quick. And I'm really, really working to be above a lot of the stuff that makes me snap to be mad quick. Because when you're mad, you're not good. You think you're good, and nobody can tell you you're not good because you're mad. You're like, I'm good. Don't tell me I'm not good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And you're really awful at that time. So I'm, I'm really working on not having that. And, and really not just saying those things about how blessed I am, but feeling them and feeling them every day. And you do that by slowing down. Okay, and I don't slow down enough. It isn't like my head is messed. It just I don't slow down enough because I'm responsible for a lot of things. I'm responsible for the kids, my own kids, my family, the kids that their parents trusted me. So to slow down ain't really me. But I have to slow down and understand so I don't snap off. So I can be the best me because you're also not as good as you can be when you're going too fast. So you got to slow down just enough so I can work at that pace. I know it's going to be a driven faster than a lot of people pace, but that's okay too. <laughs> and maybe I can help lift them up and maybe the pace they go at is going to make me have a, a more centered thing about what I'm actually getting done and where I'm going and enjoying the things more that I'm actually doing that I'm getting done. Instead of saying, well, these things are getting done, but there's all this stuff, so, so what that this is happening? I still got to get that. No, it's cool that I have 22 kids that graduated as me as their coach, and they all have solid jobs, and, you know, they send me stuff and say thanks, and they come back, and if I wasn't around, they make sure they stop by my house and see my kids. I just don't feel like... I'm that age yet that that should be happening, but it's happening. So it slow down, son, and, and enjoy this journey instead of just always being on the journey. That's great advice. And it just reminds me of just living in the moment, being present. And, and it sounds like that's, that's what you're doing. Which is trying. Awesome. Which trying is awesome. to. So let's talk about a couple of people that have been in your life. Um, first, Coach Smith. Tell us about him. Well, he's, you know, we all look at Coach Smith and everybody will tell you he was like a second father figure. You didn't always like him. But every time, and, and think about this for a second, not being a family member, every time Coach Smith, every single time he talked to me and gave me advice, it was the best advice for me. Okay, it was the best advice for me every single time. Not the best advice for North Carolina basketball that I play for. Not the best advice for summertime, whatever, whatever, you know, the legacy of him. Not for the program. Not for, you know, our family atmosphere down there. What was best for me every time? Even when I acted up the worst, he always gave me the best advice for me. So definitely a, a father figure. Did he get mad? Coach Smith got as mad as anybody. He never cussed. He believed if you had to cuss, your vocabulary wasn't big enough. No one ever cussed around him. 
We never slipped and started cussing words. No, 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 no. Nobody even did it. Nobody. And it was more a level of respect. And even when you got hot, I said I was pissed off one day. And he said that was a bad word. He started screaming at me. And there'd be days he was screaming at you. You would wish that he did say a bad word because it would end quicker. <laughs> okay. But Coach Smith understood 18 to 22 year old boys to help get them the men better than anybody I've been around. Because even when you messed up, it was almost like he knew you was going to mess up. Even when you was having hard times, he knew you were going to have those hard times. And he always looked out for all of us. He held you accountable for the things that I live my life by now. Uh, he was a great family man. Um, I'm very, very blessed that I got to play for him. And, just, and that's all the off-the-court stuff. Everything I do in my program is based on North Carolina stuff. All the time you see the colors I wear based on my beliefs in that program because of Coach Smith and the belief he had in me. The times when I was being the hardest of hardheads, he kept reminding me of the conversation he had when, I came, when they came into our home. And he asked my family what was important to us. And my dad's whole thing was education, education. So when I was acting up, he would bring you in and say, I think I remember, King, when your father said what was most important to him, I don't think he said anything about you being in the club all night. I don't think he said that you were going to hang out with JR every night. Could you refresh me in what your father said and just in a way to remind you, in a way to, he always reminded me I was a good kid from a really, really good family that was acting up. I'm not a bad kid. I'm not, you're not a bad kid, King. I don't know why you're making these decisions. What are you thinking about? Obviously, Coach, I'm not thinking when I do these things. So he, he was as good of a man as anybody. He helped not only me but countless Carolina basketball guys. He stood up for what was right. He took us to prisons and sat in cells with people on death row and with no security, and just him one-on-one -on -one with guys on death row to show you nobody's better than anybody. And for us to see the love that we got from the people that were incarcerated, um, he just, he was way before his time, good of a man. And for him to sit when he was a coach at North Carolina at the counter of a restaurant with two black students, when he was the coach at North Carolina back in the 60s, that could have got him fired, kicked out, killed, a whole bunch of stuff. But that's what was right, so he was going to stand up for it. And that's who Coach Smith was. Wow. Coach Williams. Coach Williams, we have an incredible relationship. Um, Eddie Fogler first started recruiting me. And then he went on and coached at Wichita State, and Coach Williams took it over from there. And Coach Williams is as good of a family man as there is. Um, as a coach, um, in the family part, you can't say enough about how he emphasizes family. And now he has grandkids, and he pointed out to me when I decided to get back in coaching mistakes that he made as a father. 
um, with his own son being a coach of a university and not giving his own children full access like he would do for other kids and really told me if I get back in this, I need to make sure I bring my kids around all the time. And that's one of the things I know he wishes if he had to do it over, he would do it that way with his two kids. And I know him and Scott are tight and all of that, but I know coach shared that with me that helped me be a better coach. Um, he always tries to help my family. Um, he still send a Christmas card to my mom. Um, you know, those types of things. So that Carolina family, and now he's the head of the family. So he's he's as good of a man. I feel bad that he went through with the, the academic deal because that was something that had nothing to do with him in basketball, and uh, he had to take the hit on that. And after it's all said and done, he's the one standing up shining. Yeah. King, on December 28th, of uh, 2016, you had a, a very memorable game down in North Carolina, and uh, at the press conference, you had a pretty uh, emotional and vulnerable moment, which I think was was awesome, and I, I think a lot of people share in, in that same sentiment. And uh, you express your gratitude to all those, and um, you said they took a hard-headed young kid and turned him into a man. Um, can you just bring us back to that moment for, for a moment, for a second? And um, you must have so much emotion going on that this is where you went to school. You went through all this stuff in your life, full circle, and now you're back there playing against your team. No, it, it uh, you know, and I'm a guy, like people go, man, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And it, I didn't want to walk. When I walked up there, it wasn't going to, I was mad we lost. You know what I mean? And the people in that basketball program, okay, treated me better than anything. Like, like that, that the people of Carolina basketball, how they make you feel on a daily, what it means to them that you're in their lives. Um, you know, a lot of coaches, they have a kid go through what I was going through, kick you off the team, kick you out of school. There was never that with Coach Smith. Um, he just, he kept working with me and kept working with me. And even when I would tell him I'm tired of him working with me, he kept working with me. And he made a commitment to my father and to my family that I would be a college graduate. And he stuck to it even when I tried to make him not do it. And, you know, when you, when you get done there and all your life gets to go on and he makes calls for you and puts you in great positions to do something, and now you're a coach and... They pay your school $100,000 to come play, and all the former guys want to sit behind your bench instead of behind the Carolina bench. And, um, and then our kids, the moment was, was a little too big for us. And we had been in a lot of big moments. And we didn't handle it great. So I, I wanted my team to, to show well for the, the people at Chapel Hill. Not that I thought we could win, I just wanted the, the people at Chapel Hill to see the team that I brought in emulate the Carolina teams. And then we didn't handle it that great. And so there was some frustrating times during that game. But we, we ended up having a great showing on that night. And then when you get out there and you see Coach Ford and Jimmy Black and mm. 
you know, all the times, you know, when I got booed as a, a senior and Jimmy Black called me that night, we I didn't even know him like that. And just a brother, I don't even use that part of it, the family that we had there, and for them to reach out like that, and all these guys are there, and I was the hard-headed one, okay, when they were former players coming back and talking to me, like, come on, King, man, what you doing? And now you're sitting there as a grown-up, and these dudes are there with you, and it just was, it was a very cool moment, and I just share how I share, and sometimes it's very emotional, and it comes, and after I'm like, man, I didn't want to cry, but it, obviously that's what was supposed to happen at that moment, and that's what happened. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Monmouth, um, kind of wrapping up here, because you've been so generous with your time, and I know you have another function. Um, you've had uh, your ups and downs, with, with in, in, but I, I would love for you to just explain to us, because we don't know, the average person doesn't know the average fan doesn't know it's not easy i'm sure to recruit and coach at the collegiate level let alone a school that's relative still relatively unknown i mean is that is that accurate well there's there's kids everywhere okay recruiting is a is a a crazy animal okay it just different parts of the country different things um but there's kids all over the world playing basketball. There's kids with the same dream I had. Um, and we are giving a 56, 54 to $56,000 a year scholarship, okay, for you to enhance your academic standing and your deal and, and hoop, okay? So it is a hard thing to do, okay? But if you're good at it, then you're a really good coach, <laughs> okay? You get better players, you're a better coach. So that's why recruiting is so important in the, the lifeline of your programs. Um, there's so many different ways to do it, you know? That's why a lot of different guys can be good at it. Um, that's something that we're strong at at Monmouth, so we haven't ever struggled to find kids. Um, right now, it will probably be our hardest time because we're shooting for a much higher kid now. Those kids do have high major offers, and I like them, so I got to go after them now. And that's all tying into, like I said, I, I went through a little stretch where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't have to go after it like that just because uh, some people's feathers might get ruffled wrong, and I'm done doing that. So I'm, I'm going after a much higher level kid right now. I'm, I'm putting my program back out there even more um, just to – I'm 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 an alpha dog type of guy, and I got to come after the top people, or I'm not living right. So that's awesome. That's what I got to do. So what can we expect to see from Monmouth over the next year or two? Oh, I'm still gonna schedule crazy. <laughs> um, we have a great group of kids. We'll we'll be super aggressive on both ends. Um, you're gonna see a group of guys sharing the basketball, playing the right way, smiling a lot. Um, I turned into the grizzly bear coach this year and squeezed all of the fun out of everything for everybody, and therefore you lose 20 games. Um, so I'm going to make sure my kids are enjoying their experience at Monmouth, and then we'll win a lot of basketball games. That's awesome. Um, what are your practices like? Some days harder than others. Um, early in the year, we're 
two and a half hours. We do skill work a lot. We do uh, probably three quarters of the practice is defense. Um, but I do allow them to play. Uh, I'm big on a lot of freedom on the court. Um, and the only way you get kids comfortable enough to play free is to allow them in practice to play free. So we'll, we'll see a, lot, a very disciplined team on defense that really shares the ball and plays hard on offense. How many games are won in the last two minutes? All of them. <laughs> All of them. How hard is it to, to do that? What people don't understand, most coaches really work on late, late game situations. Okay, and you work on it, and you work on it, and you work on it. And then you get in, and something happens, and the ball's out of bounds, and now it's your turn. You got the board. You already went over it 8 million times in your head. What you're going to do, they play this defense. Every time out of this timeout, or a timeout around this time, they do this. So here's what we're going to do, guys. Here we go, and you show them. And then you erase it, and you show them again. And then you draw on what you've shown them. And then they go out and the kid does the wrong thing. And then all the fans go, you're the worst coach ever. You should be fired. You can't coach. You can't coach. You can't coach. And then the parent might be one of the ones saying you can't coach. And her kid's the one that went out on the court and did the total wrong thing. Okay? So that kid blew that game. <laughs> Okay, if he did, then people say, well, you shouldn't have had him in. Well, he's your best player. And you run this play a thousand times for him every day in practice. But something happened between that time and the kid blew it that time. But as a coach, you can't say that kid blew that. You would never say that. And that game got blown right then. Not right then, but if he handles that right, you win the game. But... What happened all prior, all that goes into the game. What happened in practice? You know, the day they didn't want to box out in practice. Then you get a no box out. Well, that's when you lost that game, that day. But in the last two minutes, something else I'll tell you, if you're on defense, somebody on offense is going to make a mistake. And if you're on offense, somebody, one of those kids is going to not box out. Somebody, and if you find the right one, and get that dude's man the ball, you'll get an open shot every time. And then if you watch a lot of tape, usually it's the same kid that keeps messing up. <laughs> wow. Such a chess game. No, it's not. You know, and the guys that are the great ones, Coach Smith, Coach K, Bobby Knight, those dudes make it look easy. Everybody thinks they can be a coach. Right. Now, all right, that's a, everybody can be a coach. It's the easiest thing for everybody, all right? But if you get in trouble, you're not going to tell your lawyer what to do. If you want to lay on the bed and the doctor got to take out your appendix, you're not going to say, hey, doc, hang on. Check it out. Cut right here because this is it. Like, but with coaching, everyone thinks every person yeah. in the world could do it better than you. So every time you walk out the house, somebody got something to say that they can do your job better than you. Have you ever played? No, I didn't play, but I watched Little League Baseball, so I know better than the coach. <laughs> and every parent can coach, too. And it's like, well, I'm the one that lost 26 pounds from November to April, and I wasn't working out, and now it's back. Okay, so 
you're not even a coach, leave me alone. Okay, so there's so many things, and I'm a guy that doesn't think it's a stressful thing. But my weight sure goes away every year, and it, you know, but I'm fortunate that I get to do this. I get to coach hoops, coach basketball on a university, at a university, to take care of my family in a free house. Winning. <laughs> doesn't get any better than that. Come on, bro. King, what keeps you up at night? Everything. Um, I don't leave town a lot from Monmouth or West Long Branch. When my team is there, I don't go anywhere. I'm responsible. For me to do my job, a parent is trusting me with their child. Okay? And nothing can go wrong. Because <laughs> I can't call and say, hey, uh, your son jumped off a bridge. I can't call and say, hey, your son had a car accident. He's here no longer. Hey, your son was drinking and fell off a boat and we can't find Like You don't get to say anything to somebody's parent when they dropped them off healthy to you. Okay? But I'm dealing with 18 to 22. They don't think anything can happen to them. I can jump off this and land on one leg and nothing will happen. I could go to the bar all night. I could go to the beach and hang out all night. I could take this and do that and do this and do that and nothing's happened to me. So they're really dangerous at that age. But I'm responsible for them, every decision. And not for my job, for their lives. Mm -hmm. And when I hit away from home, just look at my own story. I was a kid that never did that stuff. That the first day was like, I do it better than everybody. Ah! and didn't know what I was doing, and other kids would follow me because I was on the basketball team. I didn't know if anybody else was getting hurt. I was just saying, I do it too. Right. And I'm responsible for 13 young men that think like that 18-year-old kid. That keeps me up the most. Are you hard on yourself? I think I'm real with myself. Um, I expect a lot of myself. Um, as I said today, I hope I can be half the man that my father was, okay? Um, I take family very, very seriously. Um, I take friendship, deep, 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 deep friendship. Um, so I, I love extra hard, but then when you love like that, you can get hurt. Um, and I've gotten hurt by great, great friends. I'm usually the one that brings it back up and says, yo, let's, we've known each other too long, let's be cool. Um, but um, when I, I just, a lot of times, Raj, don't slow down enough to a lot of things. To know things are cool, to not know they're cool, to whatever, I just got more things to do. And so in some ways, other people will say I'm hard on myself. I look in the mirror a lot. I say to my thoughts, I watch my face. I'm a big guy on you can't trick yourself. So if you're living foul, all you gotta do is look in the mirror and say what you're doing and you start getting the, your eyes will start wandering and you won't and you can't. So I do that a lot to make sure I keep myself where I'm supposed to be. Um, I talk to my friends a lot. I let them know things that 
you know, grown men can talk about, where you, where you talk, and I'm, uh, I let people know I'm vulnerable in a lot of situations, okay, and that's the best I can do. Um, but I'm not, I don't think I'm hard on myself. I think I'm supposed to get a lot done. I mean, my dad raised me to do a lot of stuff, okay, so I, he named me King David, <laughs> okay? Um, the role I play in my family at a young age was to help, <laughs> okay? And how he did and how he lived and raised our family, I'm not even close yet, okay? I'm a God-fearing man, but I don't live how he lived the life he lived in the church, you know, and I know that's something I need to get stronger with because when you have better faith, things become simpler for you. So maybe me having to, to want to always not slow down or have more to do, maybe I should just slow down with that first. And that will help calm me down on you know, trying to just always go so fast because there's more to do and slow down and really enjoy the impact that you're having and understand, yeah, there's more to do, but you have done some things. Um, I'm not a guy that needs pets on the back. I do where and help where I feel like I'm supposed to. And then if someone asks me, even if I don't think that's my walk and it can help, I'll help. Any regrets? Not really. I'm kind of a guy that lives out loud. I want to be able to do these things that I'm doing now if I didn't have all these steps on my journey. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would never start drinking. You know, those types of things. But that's what got me here. And that's what I'm understanding that there's some powerful things we can get done. And, and I could help them. Um, so regrets, I guess I, I would say when I, when I was in college, and maybe even younger, I wasn't the nicest to girls. I, I, I didn't, you know, I think back and I hung out with a lot of girlfriends, okay, and that wasn't always cool, okay. Now as a grown-up, I don't have a daughter, but I think about those things, um, and it's like, it's such a a beautiful thing to have a child and different things and everybody, I mean, we were just having fun, but I wasn't that cool, you know, I wasn't that nice and, you know, sometimes I think about that and it's like, man, you should have you been nicer to the girls that you're around in college or the girls and not anything physically did wrong, just... I was 19, 20 years old, and, yeah. you know, you won't just walk away from things like whatever and this and that. I think about those types of things like, man, that probably didn't make her feel that cool, you yeah. know, and I didn't even slow down at the time to even think like, well, whatever. And then like, and now as a grown up, you think back and you go, wow, man, that's somebody's mom now that's probably raising a daughter or a son. And I wasn't the nicest dude about boyfriend girlfriend stuff when sure. I was a younger cat. Yeah. 
You talked a lot about family today. Uh, you have a beautiful family, Summer, Xander, Julian. Uh, Xander's getting ready to go into his senior year. How exciting. Uh, you mentioned today that even some Ivy Leagues are, uh, schools are looking at him. And uh, when you think about Xander, um, do you think about yourself back at that time? I mean, you said he, he grew up in a different era, right? Mm -hmm. And you raised him different than your father did. But what do you see in his future? Alexander's very, very bright. I praise him all the time because because of me getting mad and quick snapping, I haven't liked that about myself. So in raising him, I tried to show him the importance of not having quick snap decisions because you do a quick one, it could cost you a whole bunch. And you know, then you got to dig out of a hole or something like that. And he is the opposite of quick snap decisions. And I love that about him. He's, he's really, really bright. Like, he had a whole bunch of weekly readers when he was a kid, okay? <laughs> right. So it, it, there's a correlation to sure. how I got to these things and because how his life is, he's gotten to see it from a much wider view, he's a smarter dude. Now, I make sure he understands who his dad is. Okay, I tell him all the time exactly who his dad is now that he's a little older. All right, and I think it's interesting for him to see it here and all the things here. He's grown up around it. He always loved it here. But I think it was cool for him to see today. Um, and he's going to be a successful guy. He, with ball, uh, you know, the thing he always says he wanted to coach and different things. I always tell him he's too bright to be a basketball coach. You know, go change the world, go do something really big time, and then you'll, you could coach with me after that. But he's very, very bright. He's, he's very driven. And whatever he decides to do, he's going to be successful. Awesome. King, if you could go back, right, or if you could right now call, make a phone call to the 20-year-old King, what would you say to him? Oh, that's an easy one. I would say, hey, boy, talk to your father. Talk to your father all the time. Like I tell everybody now, talk to your parents. If your parents are healthy and able, film them. Ask them questions about your family line. Ask them questions why they did things the way they did with you. But talk to them a lot. And that's what I would tell the younger me. It just, once I hit 18, 19, that at that time in our home, you were a man now. So I got sent out into the world, and I didn't talk to my dad enough when I left home. I just didn't. And I encourage my players, I tell all the parents that send me their kids, call your kid every day because you've been there every single day. He ain't him without you right now. Now you're giving them to me. I need your help. But call them every day. After a little while, you'll start hearing when it's okay that you don't call them every day. But call them every day. And that was a thing where I think society is changing where you're not growing at 18. Even if you get sent out in the world, they're still checking on you, making sure, making sure. Mine were checking on me, but it was almost like, here you go, world. Here's this 18-year-old kid. And by then, I didn't want to hear it from anybody. I thought then, I got this now. And I didn't want to talk to grown-ups. I didn't want to hear advice from everybody anymore. 
especially the man that made me do all the stuff all the time and come home early and be punished for frowning my face up because I didn't do something. I was like, man, I'm 18. No, I got this. And that's when you need him the most. That's when I needed him the most. And then growing on on my journey, when there was time where I'm like, oh, man, I need to talk to my pops now. Well, then he had gotten sick and he couldn't talk anymore. Okay, so that those years of really not having a male guidance person, because I think I'm grown, so I'm not listening to a lot of stuff what people are saying. My dad can't talk, so who going to tell me anything? And young cat, you need that. You need that guidance still. You need it. And, and I tell people all the time, if I can help these kids get to 25, that's almost like when the light almost starts to come on. <laughs> For boys, girls might be different, but for boys, it's like, wow, no, coach really did help me. Wow, coach didn't make me not shoot. I didn't practice shooting enough. Wow, coach gave me a great platform. I just didn't run with it. Okay, and so I, I, I would say to my younger self, talk to your dad about all these things that you don't even know right now that he keeps talking about, that you keep, uh -uh, I don't got no time for that right now because I'm going to kick it. Because when I wanted that guidance, he couldn't talk anymore. And then they pass along, and then they're not there anymore. And then the longer they're passed along, if you don't have that video of them talking, you forget what they sounded like. Okay, and then it's really not cool. Then it's really not cool. I can hear my dad's tone on a couple of things he used to say to my brothers. Or when he called my mom, hey, baby doll, or baby girl, I can hear his voice then. I can hear him say, hey, Mikey. But I can't hear the voice he used to talk to me in all the time. That's why I wish I had video. But there wasn't really videos then. But I wish I had video of him talking just to hear his voice. So that would be the thing I would tell my 20-year-old self. Well, look, this has been phenomenal. I've known you for 36 years. We've never sat down for this long and had such an in-depth conversation. But one last question before I let you go, King, and that is I ask every guest, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, man. Roger, I, I haven't. I think my pops was the best pops, okay? I truly don't, like I said today, I don't remember a lot of when I played. I know I must have had a lot of success. I must have been pretty good because of what I got to do, making McDonald's and those things. But I don't remember, like, I just don't remember all of that, you know, a lot of that stuff. and. Then my boy at Carolina was solid, you know, so I don't, that's not what my, my thing really is. I think my dad was a great, great father, an example he set for me. And hopefully I can be known someday that I was a great father and, and a good husband and did things right by his family and took care of 
the things that my dad saw for me and prepared me to be ready to do. Um, and when he passed, I grew up a lot just when he passed. And I'm, I, I, people always say your, your dad would be proud. Um, but I'm sure to where I need to be with that one. So I'm hopeful that I get to a place of where they look and they say, yo, this dude, man, this dude was a great pops, great husband. He took care of his family. He really stood up for the community and he never really ever judged anybody. Awesome. And we'd be cool. Awesome. King, thanks so much. This has been awesome. All good, Raj, my man. Thanks. <laughs>